Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the gaming industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to learn about our online digital events. We have some amazing sessions with people in the gaming industry, and you can participate for free and purchase inexpensive passes to our industry-leading business-to-business system. Now, here we go. Indie Game Business. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Indie Game Business. We have, it's just me today, so y'all know how this goes. You know, I'm piloting everything, and that could either be good or bad. Dan is moved across the country, and he is acclimating at the moment. So, but today, we've got Ariella Ariella Lair, and did I get that right? You did. A plus. I am the worst at names. Uh, she is a longtime friend of mine in the industry. She's been doing this for for many, many years. She's currently the CEO over at Legacy Games. And so we're going to talk about all sorts of stuff about running companies and what she looks for as, you know, as a publisher in games and the casual market and their new platform, I guess, would be the word for it. But let's start where we always start, the, the fun stuff. Tell us how you got into the industry originally, and then walk us through what you've done, you know, in your career up till now. Oh, my gosh. So uh, 30 years in uh, two minutes, right? (laughs) Let's see see how quickly I can speak. Um, Well, I went to school in cognitive psychology. I got a PhD uh, from Claremont Graduate University and did not want to be an academic, decided I did not want to do research, which is what most people did with that career back then. I was more interested in the application. So I started making uh, educational games. And uh, our first product, I was the executive producer. I put together a team. um, Well, I should say before that I did consulting which is what you do when you don't know anything (laughs) and you get right out of uh, graduate school. But the timing was amazing back then. That was the era of um, Apple IIe, Commodore 64. Schools were just starting to get into educational software and companies like the learning company, they were in their heyday. You probably all remember Robot Odyssey, I was involved with, I consulted on Math Rabbit, Reader Rabbit. So those were great games. Uh, I knew Jan Davidson very well, had as a consultant worked with their main distributor, and we were selling and training dealers at Radio Shack on Math Blaster and Ziploc bags. So <laughs> that was the era in which I entered, and it was really uh, just at a wonderful time. So uh, fast forward a few years after consulting, of course, all consultants think they can do what they're consulting about. So I said, okay, I'm going to make games. And uh, sorry, Jay, but you know. Consultants (laughs) are the worst. (laughs) We're the worst. So I was executive producer of a, a game for the learning company called Children's Writing and Publishing Center which was a kid's newsletter writing program. It was this huge hit in schools. Uh, I was, because of my educational background, very interested in open-ended tools and uh, experiences for kids where they could, uh, you know, through trial and error and deductive reasoning, figure out responses. And I wasn't fond of educational games where there was only one right answer. And, you know, so I, I, ended up doing a series of educational games for kids, one for Disney called um, Disney's Picture Crossword Puzzle, which was a really wonderful picture crossword puzzle game. And then my, I said, well, gee, I'm so good at this because both of those games were successful. I don't need a license. I don't need a publisher. So then I came up with 
a math challenge and word challenge game that Legacy, our name was Legacy Software back then, uh, was going to publish. And then I made this terrible mistake and we came up with a, a whole bunch of characters. We called them the mutinoids and they were made out of household objects. They were crazy looking, ugly. And then we put them in a cantina. It's like a cantina. What was I thinking? <laughs> and then we was so the setting, the characters were terrible. The games were cute, but they they were very unsuccessful. Um, and at that point, so that was sort of the beginning, and that was the educational software piece. Um, at that point, the children's PC market, some of the, your listeners may remember when that just completely imploded. They were giving away educational software, CompUSA, literally giving it away. You could buy it for a dollar and you'd get a coupon back for a dollar, you know, that kind of thing. That was uh, right around the time Mattel, you know, purchased uh, the learning company and all those different assets that were included in that. And one of the worst ever corporate deals in American history. Um, and, and I could go on, but that was that was sort of the first, I would say, uh, 10 years of my uh, business experience. So tell us, I mean, because you you were at Legacy for a while and then you left and you went mm -hmm. over to to Hitpoint, correctly? Correct? Uh -huh. Yep. So what was the state of the casual industry? Because you and I were doing a lot of work, you know, when it was like, yeah, you could spend a hundred thousand dollars making a hidden object game and you'll make millions from it because there was just this unlimited, it seemed like, appetite for them. Talk a little about, you know, what the market was like when you left Legacy the first time. Um, and at, it's yours, so we can discuss this. For the folks that don't know, explain the um, the contract and the distribution fee that we, you know, got to deal with from companies like Big Fish back then and how they were weighted. Oh, gosh. Well... I mean, it's it's really an interesting story, I think. Uh, what happened, so I guess it was the early 90s, what I was doing at that point, we made uh, emergency room games. And these, again, I you know, I've been really fortunate to be on the sort of front end of a number of trends. And uh, usually this is just following my own interests and passion and trying to read the market a little bit. Um, so we started out with these emergency room simulation games and we literally sold over a million at Walmart. We did a couple different sequels, Code Blue, Code Red, <laughs> Disaster Strikes, but they were all uh, based on this original 400 medical emergency cases that we created with a doctor. and. Uh, they were a real, they were just realistic simulations. Uh, and so we sort of, in my, uh, you know, inimitable fashion, we sequeled it to death. You know, we even did vet games. We were the first out with uh, some vet games as well, like based on the, the ER model. And it was also uh, the timing again was really good because at this point it was um, 95. And I think that was the launch of the ERTV show, which started to give me some ideas about TV licenses. Well, then fast forward another couple years, and I'm looking around for something new to do, uh, because we had sequeled the ER franchise as much as we could possibly do it. And of course, with sequels, your sales go down each time. And uh, I was sitting next to Dick Wolf at a <laughs> Uh, at a fundraising dinner, and uh, we were raising uh, money for this uh, anti-discrimination group. And, I, you know, I, when I found out what he does, of course, you know, he was the biggest producer, still one of the biggest producers in Hollywood of TV shows. He was the person behind Law and & Order and all those procedural, you know, criminal dramas and fascinating guy started in the ad industry, you know, so he really knew how to market and sell these products and, and obviously produce. He's a genius. 
So I'm sitting next to him and I said, you know, we ought to make a game out of Law and Order. I mean, it's incredibly popular then. I think there were at least three different versions of Law and Order on, on air at that time. And he, and he was the kind of guy who just loved new ideas. He goes, yeah, that's a really good idea. Here, call my guy at Universal. Well, <laughs> that's what I did. I ended up dealing with the the merchandise guy. They didn't. It was before they had an interactive licensing person at NBC Universal. So I ended up dealing with uh, the guy who dealt with uh, t-shirts and coffee mugs, and we we cobbled together a licensing agreement. And Legacy went on to make four Law and Order games. So this is all preface to saying what was happening in the casual games market. So they were huge successes. They did really well. People were, they were the first TV drama games uh, made. <laughs> I, I, CSI came, we made some CSI games that came afterwards with Ubisoft. So anyway, there we are with this great franchise and I'm looking around and I was a tad late to the big fish downloadable games business, the success that they were having. And they were having a phenomenal run. <laughs> and I just, I they just blew up and their leadership was great. I mean, they did all, tons of smart things. They, you know, decided early on they needed exclusives, you know, to sort of keep out the competition. So they went and gobbled up a bunch of really good developers. They they focused on the hidden object genre, which is really what this casual audience wanted more so than, I mean, time management was fine and match three was fine and Mahjong is fine, but you know, they really were mostly successful with their hidden object games. They, they came up with a subscription model. They created a desktop app where every time you downloaded one of their games, you got their game launcher on your desktop. I mean, they were groundbreaking in the stuff that they did and the way they captured this audience on the PC um, and making all the right moves with their subscription. So um, I'm looking at this and I'm like, huh, PC downloadable market, because you have to understand that we were selling the vast majority of our products at retail. I mean, Walmart loved law and order. They have a, you know, 60% uh, female audience there. And even on their PC shelves, I mean, I had some, I had a hard time convincing uh, the buyer that uh, women would actually buy Law & Order and they were the majority of the watchers of Law & Order on television. I said, come on, this is going to sell. They, So it did sell at retail and I wasn't doing much digitally at all at that point. Then I had the idea of signing up a bunch more TV licenses to bring to digital download. And instead of creating a long form adventure game point and click, we were gonna do these hidden object games based on these TV licenses. And that was a really successful formula because, you know, all these product development, you know, product cycles, they, and when you, in the beginning of a hardware platform or something like what Big Fish was doing in the beginning, it's a great time to create your own franchise like Mr. Case Files, which is what uh, Big Fish did. Uh, but as that, uh, as that product development cycle matures, then towards the end, that's when you want to bring licenses. So I would say, for example, the console business right now, given where they are with their hardware, the older hardware platforms, if you want to stand out, you know, on a, on a, the switch, you know, it's better to have a license, right? Because you're sort of at the end of that hardware cycle, not end end, but closer to the end. So anyway, we brought in a whole bunch of TV licenses to Big Fish and it was very funny. <laughs> Our biggest success was Murder, She Wrote, which, you know, in retrospect, it's not so surprising given the market, you know, how that demographic would fit. But it was funny because I didn't want Murder, She Wrote. I was going after a different NBC license and the licensing guy at NBC Universal 
who's still there, Bill Kispert, who's just a, a wonderful professional. He said to me, Ariella, you don't get this other license unless you take Murder, She Wrote. And oh. your audience is really going to love it. You got to take Murder, She Wrote. God, I remember those deals. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. So we took Murder, She Wrote. That turned out to be the most successful. We did all kinds of versions of that. <laughs> of that, but we did Criminal Minds, you know, everything from Psych and Twilight Zone to uh, Ghost Whisperer was a big one. Paranormal State was a big one. Um, yeah, they just, we did ER, we did House, we did, oh my God, I can't remember. I mean, we we did about 20 licenses and, and sold them all through Big Fish and Big Fish competitors, which are you know, I win and Wild Tangent and Game House, I guess, would be the the three other bigger ones that I would mention, uh, all doing pretty much the same thing. Um, so that was a really good run, Jay. You know, that was that was a good thing to be doing. We, as you said, uh, we would spend we spent more than a hundred thousand dollars. I mean, to get those graphics that people really like back then. You know, it was more like 200, 250, but we still made money on every single one of those projects. So uh, that was the golden age of casual, you know, PC downloadable games for sure. Well, so maybe I'll stop there. I could keep going, but I don't. And, and so I've already had like three or four other questions that popped up in my head, you know, since we're on this aspect of it anyway because i just had this conversation yesterday with, with a client of ours what goes into selecting a good license for a game that, let me go let's start there well it it's not as easy as it sounds um and i'll tell you uh an example i'll start out with an example where i don't think it worked very well uh we uh legacy recently picked up a game to publish uh it was published first in mobile and uh it's a very they're very nice developers it's a very good game otherwise i wouldn't have chosen it to pick it up but i was always concerned about the license uh, the license is project blue book it's based on a show that aired on the history channel it's actually a really really cool show. And uh, as it turns out, my son is an executive at the History Channel. So I have to be a little careful about what I say. But um, it's based on uh, true on files that were actually maintained by the US government about UFOs. And the History Channel show did drama, it was a dramatization of what was in those files. And um, the problem with the show and the game is that it was a, ve a very, uh, History Channel altogether is a very male skewing channel. And, the, and science fiction and UFOs is very male skewing. And the developers created a hidden object game and it, it's a, you know, there are variations of hidden object games, right? I mean, there are, the ones that are very story driven, lots of animation and voiceover, you know, that's a sort of Artifix Mundi collector's edition at Big Fish hidden object game. And then there are more mobile oriented hidden object games, which are much lighter. Uh, they're much more about literally the visual puzzle, finding the puzzle pieces and variations of finding things. And, um, how, because there are different ways you can do a hidden object puzzle. So, and not, and very light on story. So the Project Blue Book was trying to do some kind of cross where there was a lot of content based on these files of UFO objects, but then a very light hidden object game and uh, much more mobile in appearance and also play. And that game has not found an audience on PC. And I would say that the license is part of the problem. The subject matter is part of the problem. 
uh, and actually the gameplay is part of the problem because frankly, the former type, the Artifacts Mundi type of uh, hidden object games play much better on PC, you know, to that audience. So that's an example of, you know, you're, you're looking at the license, you're looking at the demographic. And of course, what kind of gameplay makes sense based on that license. You can't take a license, you know, where the character jumps around all the time on the show and then you don't put them into a platformer, you know, or you try to make the character not. People have in their heads already what they know about that license and what they expect. And the first thing you should do when you have in mind a license is to ask a whole bunch of people, well, what kind, what kind of game do you think that would be? And you'll find that they already have in their head the genre of game. So you, you, what you want to do, and if you line everything up, it's, it's a beautiful thing. So if you look at things like Murder, She Wrote or Criminal Minds, for example, very successful games for us, you, you find that with Murder, She Wrote, well, of course, it's going to be a mystery, you know, and hidden objects is perfect for a mystery theme. And it's mostly older women. Well, guess what? Who's playing these hidden object games? And so, and then the distribution channel, PC downloadable, that's where they all were. They were on that piece of hardware and in that distribution channel, you know, so you, it literally all lines up. And as a result, you have a success on your hands. But when one of those pieces is out of order, you know, if I try to make a game that's perfect for, you know, the PlayStation, but my audience isn't there, you know, or they're not, they don't like the controls, you know, for a console game, then I'm just, you know, I'm going to lose out. So anyway, it takes some thought. And when you hit it, you really know that you hit it. And when you miss it, you know, you've spent a lot of money unnecessarily on a license. You find out very, very quickly when you missed it. That's what happens. So, I mean, the UFO thing is is very interesting, though, because my next question is, how does pop culture go into defining a lot of the trends that we see in the industry? I mean, obviously, you know, History Channel as well. We had Vikings and, you know, we've had Thor Ragnarok and several other Norse themed, you know, pop culture references. And that's spawned countless Viking-based games. And UFOs are hot right now because of, you know, all the stuff in the news, you know, post-Project Blue Book. How does, how much does, does that factor into what's going to work and what isn't going to work? And are, are there any indicators or any ways to look forward and go, okay, I think this is going to be hot next year, but I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a tough question. I mean, if you're going after an audience that is aware of those trends, <laughs> you know, I mean, honestly, I knew uh, it was interesting. The first stimulus bill that was actually passed under Trump uh, during COVID, one of the not very well-known uh, requirements of that bill, and I have no idea how it got in there, you know, who put it in there or why, was that the government was going to have to release all these secret files about UFOs by a date certain, and I think the date certain was end of March of this year. I just so, don't that. <laughs> I was like, that's, that's crazy, and I, <laughs> I read that and I thought, huh, that's, that's a weird thing to put in there, but okay, that's... Uh... <laughs> That's interesting. And, you know, there that's what has been made that topic so hot, right? Because all of a sudden, all these files got opened up much more so than what was open before previously. And that's why you have various politicians and other people talking about, well, maybe UFOs really do exist. Um, and so I was aware of that. that. That is true when I picked up that game and we launched it, I guess, around the same time. Uh, as that was becoming uh, available, that information was becoming available and really hit the press. 
Uh, unfortunately, the game type, like I say, there's just there was a mismatch. There is a mismatch. And so it didn't help. Um, but, you know, I think uh, trends, you know, looking, keeping an eye on right now, we're getting licenses from everywhere. I mean, look at Bridgerton, right? On Netflix, it was their biggest show of the year last year. And that's based on a series of romance novels. And that's, to my knowledge, the first time romance novels, and I don't put what Fifty Shades of Grey or whatever that book series was called. I don't put that. That's a little, that's a sex novel. This, I'm <laughs> this Bridgerton is a, if your audience doesn't know it, it's uh, probably takes place at the first half of the 1800s, you know, in Regency, New England. And it's a story of the aristocracy falling in love and uh, quite different. Um, and that was a huge success. So I looked at that and I literally, I said, well, you know, that's kind of my audience. I think that, you know, if, if hidden object games were a little more robust on PC, they're just not anymore. We can get into what the current state is, I would say. Um, but um, that to me, as somebody who watches trends, I'm thinking, hmm, there are a lot of romance novels out there. In fact, that probably accounts for 50% of Kindle sales. And I'm not joking. I mean, you know, <laughs> that's a big part of the market. And there are a lot of women of all ages reading not just period pieces like Bridgerton, but more modern stuff. And I think that could work really well for some different types of games, maybe interactive fiction, who knows, narratives, you know, uh, that have a, a, some amount of gameplay. Um, and that's how you, you watch and see what's working in the larger culture and say, hmm, there are a lot of licenses there that are well known to this particular demographic. And if I can figure out how to translate that into a game where the part of the, the story part that they love just becomes more engaging uh, on the right platform, whether that's probably mobile, you know, not PC, um, that would be a good idea. You have got to check out our Discord at discord.gg slash business. It's an amazing community of over 3,500 other industry experts. We've got developers, publishers, marketing and PR firms, investors, so, so many, so many. It's safe and supportive place to network and to talk to experts. You can learn more about the business of games or you can share what you know with others. We have exclusive workshops on perfecting your pitch deck finding a publisher, and more. Remember, it's discord.gg slash indie game business. That shift in the market is, is interesting. And, and you, you touched upon one of my favorite little you know, cheat codes for licensing. You know, I, I did this. 10, 15 years ago, when we did our license hidden object games at my first company, you you skip the TV executives and the movie executives and you go straight to the book authors because a lot of times those hit shows and hit movies came from books in the first place. And the savvy book agents have withheld the digital game rights. And so yeah, that's I love going straight to the book authors. So you you stepped out of, of legacy for a few years and then you came back last year. What happened in the meantime? How has the industry changed from this heyday that you and I worked in to what we have now? Yeah, <laughs> a sad story. <laughs> it's a sad story, but I mean, look, it's one of the reasons why we're all in this business, to tell you the truth. I mean, we're not selling insurance. And I know someone would say the insurance business is changing, too, but not like our business and not with such regularity. You know, things if you get five years of a trend, you're ecstatic before things change again. Um Yes. So what happened? So as you said, I went to hit point for three years, had a wonderful time, 
working on augmented reality projects. We did some one with Niantic and Google. We, uh, it was just great. And I love those guys at Hitpoint. Uh, Paul Haig is a fantastic CEO and leader. I was the president. And um, then we captured the attention of Penn National and they, it's a gaming company and they swooped up Hitpoint. And so I am back at uh, Legacy. And I came back in October and I'm thinking, okay, well, it's, uh, shockingly, our retail sales are still good. I mean, I, I don't understand it. <laughs> I keep thinking, hmm, you know, these sales are just going to go away because people don't even have disk drives anymore. Um, but the sales are, um, you know, they go down a little bit every year. So I'm not saying it's not like it was 10 years ago. Not at all. But it's, it's still a profitable business. And we still... We sell between two and three thousand units a week at Walmart. Wow, still a good business. So that was going on the whole time the Walmart business that I was at Hitpoint because it, you know there were two resets, sometimes three resets a year. So you'd have to prepare new products for the resets. And other than that, I didn't really pay any attention to the business, and that's the truth. So I had a few part-time people who were helping. So then I come back, and it's. I'm looking around. And of course, one of the things I did not do nearly enough early in my career and made a number of mistakes as a result was actually talk to people, you know, that's, <laughs> talk to people in your business, just, you know, do a little research. And so I ended up talking to my competitors in the casual downloadable games business. And we had some very frank conversations about what the state of the business is. So I, I thought, okay, the first thing I want to do is be digital. So we need to bring these Walmart customers onto the Legacy Games website and have them start buying digital versions of the packs that we sell at Walmart. Uh, Walmart customers, I love them deeply. And I really mean this. They are so loyal to us and to our legacy amazing games brand. And now they're coming online. You know, I I would say we probably, you know, are getting maybe 10% of them now to come online, but that's mainly right now, our website business is made up of these Walmart customers. And what, and, you know, I was a, I I was able to see pretty early on. We got on. We got digital. We we became digital right away as soon as I got there. We put up a website, and I saw that wow, this is sort of a what's the expression slow boat to China. This is going to take a long time to build up this digital business. I was asking my competitors, who all pretty much said the same thing that the business is one tenth of what it was ten years ago. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's one tenth the size. And I, and I said, well, why? What happened to these customers? And, you know, as trends happen, uh, you know, the answers I got, uh, well, <laughs> I got three answers. One was, well, they're dead. <laughs> I said, well, <"What?" laughs> they said, no, they're old. I said, oh, please. They didn't. <laughs> you know, in other words, they're too old to play games or something. The second answer was, they went to mobile, which is an obvious, you know, they're going to migrate to mobile, the newer platform, more convenient platform, even though it's never been great for hidden object games, right? You know, it's, uh, or not the traditional PC hidden object games. And then the third answer was uh, Facebook instant games. You know, people believe that, uh, and I have a few customers who told me that, because uh, I'm also asking my customers what's going on. And then I'd say the fourth thing, I had a customer about a month ago uh, who's just a wonderful legacy regular on our Facebook page. And we came out with a Tales from Beyond uh, pack of uh, five uh, sort of uh, supernatural kinds of uh, games. And she said, oh, I'm not going to buy that one. I said, oh, oh, why not? She goes, oh, well, two of those games are available for free. 
And I said, really, where are you buying them for? Where are you getting them for free? <laughs> these are not online games. You know, these are full blown hidden object games that would sell at Big Fish. And uh, she said, oh, what was the name of the I've forgotten now. Oh, no. Game Game Top, I think it's called dot com. I'll give that guy a call out because he was so sweet and answered all my questions that I asked him. He has a model where all these PC downloadable games are free with advertising. So if you Google PC downloadable games, he shows up right away and everything is free. And he has these games legitimately. He explained to me what his model is. He offers a flat fee to these developers. So any developer listening here wants to sell their game for a flat fee to uh, the guy who runs GameTop. I'm pretty sure that's the name of the site. Um, and so these games are all free. And so you can't beat free, right? So <laughs> as a business person, I'm like, okay, now I really see the full extent of the problem. We are driving the price point down, 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 you know, a hidden object game, a collector's edition. I don't know. They probably still sell nominally for $10 on Big Fish. But after you have all these discounts and your membership and everything else, it's less than that. But then you have companies like Legacy on our website. We're selling three hidden object games for $10 or five for $13. And so the price point keeps going down, down, down. And now the price point is zero. And so at that point, I'm like, okay, this, this business is not viable anymore, period, end of story. So now we can start on the new chapter if you want to. <laughs> so, and I'm on the site now. The number 10 game on there is Gardenscapes. And that game has to be at least 10 years old. Oh my God. Is that true? Is that true? That's still the number. That's wow. what I mean. That, that there is his best free PC games. And I would assume that's the ones that are selling the most. Um, yeah. Number, number 10 is Gardenscapes. That's, wow. that's amazing. Um, yeah. So, you know, you, you and I talked earlier this week, and you are stepping up, and, and you're going to be taking a, a bigger platform distribution role in these types of games because there's not a space for them. There's not a centralized space. Let me put it that way, because casual games don't sell on Steam. And obviously, the other aspect of it is the free-to-play stuff that's on mobile and that's a whole completely different ball game but right. you know if you want to you know get these games digitally it's it's a really fragmented space so tell us a little about what you're going to be doing with this new and it's not just casual it's indie games too that's you know the, the important part but tell us what you're doing now with, with that process and and what developers can do to get in touch and and just talk, let's talk, I'll talk about that for a minute. Well, with pleasure. So, <laughs> it, it, I, you know, looking around and saying, okay, I can't just sell hidden object games, PC downloadable. I mean, I sort of knew that at the beginning of the year, but wasn't quite sure what to do about it. You know, those of us who think about business strategy on occasion, it's like, well, I could either change my platform, focus on mobile, in other words, I could change the type of product. So instead of this genre, a different genre, I could change uh, the, my business model. So going from, you know, premium to something else, free to play, advertising driven, you know, something like that. Um, there were two things that impacted my decision making. Uh, because of course the big issue is how do you get traffic to your website? You know, if I really want to establish legacy games as a viable portal, I have to have more traffic than just Walmart and the Walmart customers, they want hidden object games. So I, you know, it's always that issue, right? When you want to move forward, you have a legacy business <laughs> and my legacy business is Walmart customers and hidden object games. So I need to find a way to move forward 
if possible, without losing those customers, because they're really important to, you know, our bottom line. So what, what we have decided to do, and it's, you know, taking our lessons directly from, you know, lean startup models, we are going to uh, launch a new section on our website. I, I think the date is Monday. So this is really, uh, you know, very timely. Um, and it's called Indie Game Spotlight. And in the Indie Game Spotlight section of our website, we are going to feature, uh, I would like to have at least 100 games there by the end of the year but not just any hundred games. We are looking for games that are highly rated. You know, this is mostly on Steam, I would say, you know, we're looking there, but we're also looking everywhere else. They either, you know, maybe they've won an award, they're highly rated, they show the usual indie, you know, I love, I love this about indie games, this really point, you know, very specific point of view um, you know, usually great, a lot of times, great story writing, which is really important to our audience. And we're looking across genres. So it's everything from exploration, adventure, racing, platformers. You know, it's, it's a um, family friendly, I would say, and we have to keep to that family friendly because of our Walmart customers. And so it's, they, you know, cartoon violence is okay, but we're not going to be doing shooters or anything like that. What about so cartoon we, shooters? What? I said, what about cartoon shooters? <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see how this works out, you know. But we're looking at all kinds of games. I have a, a list in front of me here of about 50 games. And my colleague, Constantine, is reaching out to developers and sometimes their publishers if they control the rights and offering up legacy games as a potential distribution portal, Walmart retail, as well as retailer.com sites that we are on with our products. And, there, you know, for example, walmart.com, that's turning out to be a pretty good site to be on. Uh, we're not selling our games digitally on Amazon, and that's because Amazon has, for all intents and purposes, shut that that whole program down. We are selling our retail versions uh, on Amazon. So anyway, we have a we have a variety of dot com sites that we also sell on. And I'll just say one other thing. One of the reasons I'm trying this now is because in August, we are starting a promotional program with two different hardware companies where they are going to be sending legacy games a lot of traffic, up to 100,000 new visitors a month. And that what is what has given me the confidence to try to expand our product line. Because frankly, those new customers, they're not our Walmart customers. And I'm hopeful that they're looking for a variety of different game playing experiences. And I want us to be able to offer it to them. So it's all coming together and we'll see, we'll see Jay, if this is a good idea or not, we should check back in in about six months, but yeah, I'm hopeful. I think it is because I mean, it's we've reached that saturation point where steam is so, so overcrowded. I mean, I get an email every Monday, 200, 250 games that launched on Steam the week before. And, and it's absolutely crazy. And there aren't any good portals to go to any good sites where you can get a good variety, especially, you know, that you're, because you're curating it as well. Um, I think there's definitely a market there. So, but you, so you mentioned that these new titles will be or could be going to Walmart retail as well. Do you see that, that retail business sustaining and, and maybe coming back? Because I'm, I'm our Walmart, there's this one rack basically, which of, of mainly your games, <laughs> but it's, it's right there. And then everything else is console or digital download cards. So mm -hmm. how confident are you in the, 
sustainability and the growth of that retail physical market because you got to go out and manufacture discs and boxes for all of this or is the answer digital download cards no that's a really good question uh of course i worry about it all the time you know paranoia that's the mark of an executive you know yes. <laughs> right i'm paranoid for sure um I will just say once again, Walmart is a wonderful uh, partner. They have assured us that we will get at least a year notice, you know, before oh. they shut down. And they, Walmart makes, anybody who sells to Walmart knows that they make their um, decisions about their shelves, you know, how many slots to a lot, to a particular category um, every year in uh, April or is it May? No, I think it's May. I'm sorry. And um, they told us that we are good to go for the next year. So until May of 2022, uh, everything is fine. We have not lost any shelf space. Uh, Legacy controls 14 out of 18 of the jewel case slots on the shelf at Walmart with our amazing games brand. And um, we also are actually starting to ship some boxes and we can ship our, our jewel cases. We only ship twice a year into Walmart, which is standard, but boxes we can ship uh, anytime. So, um, you know, they have to be accepted by the buyer, but I don't think the buyer has turned down anything from us for years. I can't, I mean, five years <laughs> I can't, or more. I can't remember the last time they turned down a product that we presented to them. So, you know, what can I say, Jay? I'm confident for the next year that we'll be okay. And, and so we're making just as many, you know, physical products this year as we did last year. Uh, next year, I, who knows? But the one, the one area that I do that Walmart, I know why one reason why Walmart likes our products, and that is that they make a better profit margin on these jewel cases than just about anything else they sell. They make a good, healthy profit margin, of course. So they're looking at that as well as the number of units that are sold. You know, when they make their decision about what to do with the shelf space. It, it's it almost falls into a lot of this cycle that we go to go into the industry all the time anyway and it's like everybody jumps out of retail well all that does is open you know a, a tiny little vacuum sometimes where you know people can go back in and, and see success um are there anywhere else i mean best buys cut their stuff down does target even do games anymore are there any other retailers that are no, no. Uh, on the PC side, no. Walmart. I mean, there there are a couple of small regional uh, uh, micro center, for example, that we sell to uh, a couple of small regional stores. But um, no, that Walmart's the the main game out there for the PC. And I think I think there are. Um, I do feel pretty good about some of the digital, the potential of some of the digital sales. And I can't look, <laughs> Game, GameStop's stock is so volatile, I couldn't dare say anything uh, specific about them other than to say that I believe that they're gonna get back into PC digital. Maybe not this year, maybe next year, but I think that's in their, in their plan. Let's be clear to everybody listening. GameStop stock is not related at all to what GameStop is actually doing. <laughs> it is completely, that is completely at the hands of Reddit right now. And it is not, you can't look at it and go, oh, look, they have all this money now. It's like, yeah, but the market hasn't changed. You know, the, the, the same problems that they've always had are still going to continue to be there. Uh, have you seen, and I, this is just a general question I'm asking because I haven't seen it myself, but with all these digital cards out there where you can go and you get, you know, you buy $25 in mine coins and all this other stuff, 
are there any companies that are using those to sell games? You just buy the card and download it when you get home? Or is that still pretty much in the hands of this is how we're selling soft currency? Yeah, I don't know. You know, I have, because of our strong position with physical products, I have had the opportunity, many opportunities over the year to uh, look into cards and learn more about them. But, you know, I haven't. So I can't say. I mean, I know as a grandparent that, you know, buying, you know, Roblox or Minecraft or, you know, a card or even iTunes makes a lot of sense. Right. You know, it's still a physical gift. And now you're giving your lovely child something that you you know they want but apart from that i don't know doesn't doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me for our business yeah it, it, i was just curious because it's like it, it seems like there is something that could possibly be there at some point but i haven't seen anyone doing it so and you know that retail market way better than i do all right so we've got a, a question from divinorium and this is where we're going to jump back to licensing just a little bit um, how would you approach getting a license for a Japanese IP? Because he says, I imagine things are very different. Well, uh, usually there's a, a person to speak to. Either they've hired, and I don't know if it's the same way in Japan, because I have never gotten a Japanese license. Um, if the license is with a game company, there's someone assigned to speak to people, a licensee, you know, someone who wants to obtain the license. If the license is, uh, you know, a book or audio or music or something like that, usually there's an agency, at least in this country, there's an agency and you contact the agency. Um, there is, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of something called Licensing Letter, uh, which is an excellent publication. I get it in my email at least once a month. And they go through, you know, all of the licenses which have been obtained across every type of product category, not just video games. Although, boy, you see video games on there all the time now. And... Um, that's a really good source of information. And I know they have international brands in there. So, you you know, you have to find out who is responsible for talking to potential licensees. And then you go to that person. Um, it's I can't imagine the business terms are a whole lot different. I mean, they're still pretty much uh, you either are offering an advance or a minimum guarantee. Um, that's related to the royalty amount, you know, so the higher the royalty, the lower usually the minimum guarantee. Um, there are companies that you just know are out of your reach. Uh, so, for example, Disney, don't even think about contacting them unless you're ready for They will not even talk to you under a seven figure, you know, deal. So, um, you know, that's. Without knowing any more specifics, that's all I can say. But, you know, going back to the cycles in the industry with Disney, give it two years. You know, they go through that. We're going to license everything out. And then they do that for three or four years. And then they're like, oh, wait, this makes a lot of money. Let's bring it all in-house. And they buy a bunch of studios. And then they're like, oh, my God, running a studio sucks. Let's get rid of this. And so it just depends. Hold, hold your breath with Disney. It'll it'll turn back around. Uh, Deb, I can tell you from my experience, if you find the source material, and this is what we go back and what we were talking about earlier with the book versus the TV show, you know, it's my son is in all into my hero academia right now. And I was like, you know, there's a book and a manga about this. And his eyes got like huge. And he's like, what? Just go and find where it is originating from. And then in any copy, if, if it's a book, any copy of it, there'll be a, address to the publisher or an address to an agency and then just pick them up and call them on the phone. I mean, honestly, because that's what, that's why you normally get everything done. Obviously if they're in Japan, it might be a little different, but chances are they have a U.S. office. Um, otherwise, I mean, just email them. That's the thing is like, 
you know, like Ariel said, with with Dick Wolf, and I mean, that's just an amazing contact to be sitting beside at mm-hmm. dinner. I mean, I've watched every episode of Law and Order. I mean, this is I love that show, but a lot of times these things don't have partnerships because nobody asks. And if you go and say, "Hey, look, this is what I want to do. Are you interested?" The worst thing I say is no, and so that's that's fine. But yeah find the original source material and mm-hmm. go from there. Because if you just call up, you know, if it's a book publisher, for example, and you call up the book publisher and go, Hey, we're interested in the video game rights. They'll go, Oh yeah, sure. We have that. And the minute you hang up the phone with them, they pick up the phone and call that author's agent and go, Hey, we need the video game rights for this. So yeah, start, start at the very bottom first and then go from there. Uh, I didn't know about this licensing letter thing. I get the, you know, I'm a member of Lima and I get all of that sort of stuff. But the licensing letter is interesting. I'm going to sign up for that. Okay. So for, you know, we we have a lot of indie developers watching, listening and listening to the podcast later and all that kind of good stuff. Give us a rundown on what, what kind of criteria you're looking for. I mean, does it need to be new stuff or is it are you only looking for older games that have you know that wealth of of you know thumbs up and, and ratings or any kind of specifics on, on what you're looking for for that brand yeah i you know um new stuff and old stuff are fine I, as you say the old stuff we have a little bit more of a background you know in terms of reviews but I have a I have a team of people who are looking at these games and they are very happy to review them. So if it's a new game, um, at, you know, very happy to take a look at it, uh, even if it doesn't have reviews. It you know it's uh, I would say there's a, a bit of a bias towards games that have nice graphics. You know, <laughs> that's uh, I, I hear that when I'm talking to the people who are actually looking at the games. And it's it's interesting. I had a conversation with one of the reviewers yesterday and he was saying that he's surprised that he's not finding more, you know, and he's that, you know, he's looking at the indie arcade and all the winners there. And he's, you know, we're looking at all the PC magazines that are uh, reviewing games and it's it's a little surprising i think one of the more feckoned profitable ways for us to proceed is actually to approach some of these publishers who are just known for picking up really innovative games and then trying to get a whole slew of games from a publisher as opposed to in, you know approaching individual game developers um, so, for example, um, what's the Heidelberg one? They do. They have so many nice games we like. Or is it Annapurna or Plugin Digital? You know, we're talking to a number of these companies that have a portfolio of really good games and trying to, you know, cherry pick. Um, but yeah, we we want to, as you said, highly curated place with. Uh, hopefully at least a hundred games where these mostly new customers coming to us through these hardware promotions will be able to, um, you know, see the best of the best. And in terms of pricing, being very aware of how value conscious the Walmart customer is, and that's how we ended up with these multi-packs. But I think with these indie games, Initially, we are going to try to track their pricing on Steam. You know, we're not going to undercut the pricing on Steam because I know that um, people are concerned about that, rightfully so. But depending on how things go, they may end up down the road in more bundles like Humble Bumble Bundle. You know, they may end up in packs. And certainly when we sell them, they have to be in a pack. I, it, there's just no way I could sell an indie game at Walmart for 20 bucks. Yeah. And it, it just won't work. So for Walmart, for Walmart specifically, oh, sorry for the, I have an airplane in the background. Here. I have a dog outside my window trying to get in. So yeah, it's all good. <laughs> She's looking at me like, why are you ignoring me? You know? <laughs> 
my dog scratching at my door. So there you go. <laughs> All right. So if you've got any other questions for Ariella about the, you know, the publishing side, retail, all of that sort of stuff. We only got a few more minutes here. So make sure you drop it in chat wherever you are on Facebook or YouTube or Twitch or Twitter or wherever. We're not on LinkedIn today. I'll, I'll get on to Dan later about that. Um, the, the wonderful irony of this story is Walmart to this day is still, you know, what the only arguably viable retail solution for games. And you can trace back the origin of these casual mass market games, even indie, to Deer Hunter, which obviously exploded. That was very much an indie game by all classifications and a casual game by all classifications. And it is what taught Walmart that, oh, my God, our player, our you know customers like video games. Um, so I, I just love that little that little bit of irony in there um it's it, it once again it comes full circle all right yeah. no it's amazing deer hunter all those uh, hunting games and farm simulators i mean farm simulators still sell so esports division of that that just blows my mind that <laughs> germany has a complete esports ecosystem built around farm simulator series well, I'm actually talking to a German company that produces wonderful simulations. And, you know, the problem with some of the German simulations, sorry if I offend anyone, but, you know, they're so in the weeds, right? You can't, you can't enjoy it unless you, you know, know so much about the topic. But um, I think that there are some lighter simulations that uh, could work very well with our audience. So yeah, that's another category of game that you know we'd really like to look at and potentially. There is an absolute ridiculous amount of it goes beyond niche. It's like you know there are niche titles, but then when you get to something like when we've seen recently the power washing simulator, it's like I don't know what the sub niche <laughs> is if there's a word for that or if that's the word, but and, and they sell. That's the thing. You look at this stuff and you're like, no one is ever going to buy that. And you're completely wrong. It's, it's completely crazy. So, um, all right. So in the next week, I won't hold you down till month to Monday, but some point in the next week, this new indie game section is going to launch on the site. Can the developers go there and submit games or how do they get you know, well, what they're doing in front of your team? They can always contact me directly, Ariella at Legacy Games. Um, we are on LinkedIn, Facebook, you know, Twitter. They can also, um, there is LegacyGamesPublishing.com, and there's a big contact section there. Um, if they go to LegacyGames.com and scroll all the way down, they'll see links there for developers. So, I mean, I don't think it would be hard to find us. And uh, would love it if people would, you know, send us their games. Again, this is a distribution offer. We're not trying to assume responsibility for all of your publishing. Not yet. Not at this point. Uh, I know you want to get back into that nightmare. What is <laughs> oh, God, you're so right. I do. But I, listen, you know, and Jay, you can appreciate this. Being in this business all this time, you have to really guard your reputation. Mm -hmm. right? I do not overpromise. I I just don't. I don't want to disappoint people. I want them to see this as a potential for incremental revenue, which I think it is. But in the meantime, we don't have the skills or the people yet to be able to do justice to their title across every platform, across all the distribution channels. So I want to focus right now on what I think we can accomplish for people. And, um, and I want them to be happy with our performance. And once I prove that to myself, then we're going to have greater aspirations. But for right now, it, we are a distribution, an incremental distribution opportunity that I think has real potential for people. I, I get asked every now and then, they're like, you know, 
you know so much about publishing. Don't don't you want to be a publisher? I'm like, hell no. I've done that before. I don't want to go back to that. That's like asking me if I want to be a producer or an executive producer again. No, I don't. I, I like what I do now. It's much less stressful on this side of the table. Well, I just I just have to say one thing. We are going to publish a product. Uh, we are going into beta probably at the end of this month. So I can't say we have no aspirations to be a publisher. We are trying our hand for the first time at a free-to-play mobile game called Pearls of Atlantis. It is charming. It is based on our only other successful mobile game, which was Match 3 with Physics. Only this time, as with all mobile games like this, we are combining it with creativity, decorating, whatever, the city of Atlantis. So it's a, uh, I'm excited about it. We're going to learn about free to play. You know, we're going to, um, and we're going to see if we can be the 10% that makes the money. But the point is that uh, I'm dipping my toe into it. No, so. no, you, you, you're not easing back into the shallow end of that pool. You're jumping headfirst into the deep end. Oh, That's that's I wish you the best. I mean, because it is you. I mean, it, and the reality is if, if anyone can, you know, come out of the gate with a success, it's going to be you and your team because you've been doing this for so long. You you know not to make the mistakes, you know, that a lot of teams do. We saw, you know, earlier this week we were going through a pickup meeting for one of our publisher clients, and it's like here's this game that got picked up, and you looked at the publisher. And that publisher had literally started their Twitter account 18 days earlier. And it's like, that's not good. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. See, I can't do that, Countess. I can't do that. I can't do that to people. Because if you want to be respected after 30 years in the same business, you know, you, you can't leave those kinds of bodies yep. behind. Exactly. You know, it'll catch up with you. Well, thank you so much. And we really appreciate you being on. And, and now you're on Discord. And so if you stick around Discord and, and see how awesome our community is, you know, we would love that level of expertise on there because we constantly have folks, you know, that have questions to all this. And so for everyone else, uh, yes, you can follow us on the, you can go to the Discord and join over 3,000 other industry, you know, people who are interested in the business side of the game. It's at discord.gg slash indie game business. Uh, literally just search indie game business in Google and you will find the YouTube page that has all of our previous podcasts as well as every conference session we've ever had at our uh, conferences. They're all there. And then we're on your podcast if you just want to listen to us and you don't want to you know, have to look at me the entire time. So thanks everybody. Um, Ariella, Best of luck on this. I'm pulling for you. And you. we'll catch everybody next week. All righty. Bye. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.